FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Good morning and thank you so much for joining us. I'm so sorry, Lawson and Lyle are gone. I might have buried in the backyard. No, I'm kidding. They're perfectly fine. They're at AYC, which you should be too if you were so lucky to be in the Newcastle area this weekend. This show today is going to be a little bit different. We are still live from Newcastle where we have our little studio, but it is just me. It's just Mon, which actually kind of works because the original meaning of the word Mon in Greek means one, alone, single, and it's just me here. In the studio, I'm here with DJ Shell. Uh, we're we're here serving your community, serving our community faithfully because we are both a little bit sick, but we're going to push through and hopefully have a really fun show today. We actually have a bit of a variety thing going on. We're going to be having a couple of best of segments that DJ Shell, producer Shell, has put together for you. I'll be introducing the segments live, and uh, I'll still be doing the quiz. So please get your quizzy thinking hats on. Uh, there's still going to be a wonderful prize going out today. We're going to be spinning the wheel for the people who got their entrance in today. And uh, we're going to be giving away Food as Medicine. It's actually a two-pack, a really big book uh, by Sue Rad, And it comes with a little baby book that you can give away to a friend, uh, also called A Taste of Food as Medicine. So stay, stay tuned for later in the show. We'll be doing that live. Um, but we're going to have some great best of segments uh, from Lyle and Lawson and the work that they've done here on Faith FM. So we'll be enjoying that while they are preaching their hearts out um, down at AYC in Newcastle. This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in at the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in at the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. All things were made.
was the promise with the word was God. Welcome back to Faith of Man Breakfast Show. Flying solo here with Mon this morning, live out of Newcastle. We're going to have a fabulous show, just you and me. And uh, do you know what? Let's talk about what we're grateful for. Text me what you're grateful for, and I might share it live on air. 0491064669. But I swear to goodness, Braden, if you message me about mushrooms, I'm leaving. I'm just going to quit. Just walk out. You can listen to nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I appreciate you sticking me about mushrooms occasionally, Braden. One of our faithful listeners. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Actually, what I'm grateful for is I did not get uh, a positive result to my COVID te- test yesterday. So somehow I've still managed to avoid getting COVID after what is it now? Two years, two and a half years or something. Um, I seem to be dodging that thing. Uh, I did think I had it on Monday. I was pretty miserable. I've been getting better ever since, but not quite there yet. I did about half a dozen tests, but I finally had to go get the big one and uh, had to do a little drive through. And, uh, and thankfully the results came back really quick and I don't have COVID. So I am, I'm actually pretty grateful for that. Uh, cause I do live in a bus and I reckon self-isolating in a bus would be pretty miserable. So enjoying traveling around Australia in that thing actually was kind of funny. I turned up yesterday to the uh, testing facility and the guy walks out and he's like, is it, is it just you in there? And I was like, yes, just me. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. We thought there was a whole bus load of sickos turning up. It was just me. Hey, let's do the quiz. Uh, so if you get one of these answers right, you can call in and uh, text in and get uh, your name chucked in the in the pile that we're going to be drawing out from later. And if you keep getting them right, you'll keep getting more draws into that pile, which is what you want to have, more chances to win. So our first question today goes like this. Mary and Martha lived here. Mm, where did Mary and Martha live? 0491-064-669. Give us a text or a call. DJ Shell is in the house and she will collect your answers and stick you with the prize. We're going to show, we're actually going to draw that later this show today. It's happening today. I'm very blessed to be able to be the person who gets to give out the prize today. We build up to it all week. It's going to be a good one today. Food as medicine is actually a huge, huge book. I hate to think how much postage is going to be. I hope the person lives nearby. Anyway, I'm going to be sharing some really cool news. Yesterday, I shared with Lawson and our listeners about uh, capitalism stepping in to do some good when it came to eradicating invasive species. And we talked about, uh, what is it called again? A a lionfish. uh, Well, they, they look pretty cool, but when they're an invasive species, they're actually pretty miserable and they are destroying ecosystems around the world, particularly there in Florida where the story was coming from, and some entrepreneurial engineers slash scuba divers had decided they were going to have a look into the problem, and their way of fixing it was actually harvesting the pest lionfish in that region and turning it into leather and leather goods. And so I started selling luxury leather to Italian leather uh, makers who were turning it into some pretty pretty spiffy shoes and handbags and whatnot. So I wanted to go on with that theme and share another uh, little bit of capitalism coming out of London this time. And this, oh man, I, I wish so much that I had like radio with visuals. I guess that's called TV. <laughs> 
No, I don't want you to see me. I look pretty miserable right now at this hour of the day with a little bit of a cold. But uh, I wish I could show you how beautiful what I'm about to describe to you is. So in London, they have had a bit of an invasive species that requires tens of million dollars to eradicate, and it's in their water pipes. So London water pipes are being clogged by a species native to the Nipian River in the Ukraine. It's called the quagga mussel. And uh, Thames Water, that's the, uh, the the company that deals with that, uh, has had a bit of a headache with these uh, these mussels, like like I guess you know like little shellfish. Uh, most of them end up you know in loads of landfill around the British um, British country, uh, but now a certain amount of these mussels is found in the workshop of designer Lulu Harris at the London Craft Week's Butility Exhibit, where her use of the quagga shell uh, mussel shell powder to make glass has caught the attention of the world. So this is really cool. What she's done is she's um, taken the quagga mussel and she's she says that her, actually her, her method is similar to ancient glass-making techniques. She uses about 60% river, um, river temp sand, 20% mussel shells, and 20% locally sourced wood ash and a little bit of soda ash, which is the principal ingredient in normal glass. And she thinks that uh, if manufacturers follow in her footsteps to make this sort of geo-specific industry, geo-specific glass industry, um, you could end up with glass that looks specific to where it was made, which is so cool. So this one is um, glass actually is infinitely recyclable, actually, which is making it one of the least polluting container materials available. However, sand mining is an ecologically damaging practice, particularly for rivers. So this is a really great alternative. Um, the the glass that, that this particular quagga mussel from the London region actually creates is like a I want to say like a pale sea green, and it's it's kind of translucent as well. And uh, the pattern that she's punched into it is like a like a flirtily sort of floral geometric, and it's I want to say really really lovely. Like honestly, if I lived in a house, I would absolutely build my walls with this stuff. Um, yeah, so this is a they're, they're using this glass as uh, as trying to make tiling for building facades uh, using you know patterns of old London. So they said looking back at the Royal Dalton which manufactured the city's water pipes in the mid-19th century as well as the city's ornamental terracotta chimney pots, the glass, the cast glass tiles replicate some of the intricate 19th century patterns. So to make these tiles, they have to obviously harvest these pesky mussels out of the water pipes. They're then dried, um, washed and dried in the sun, ground up and sieved into a fine powder. They're then cooked into molten glass. Have you ever seen, you know, when they do glass blowing on, on like the internet? It's really fascinating. So they actually cook the mussels down into molten glass and then rapidly cooled to be shattered and ground up again, and then this is fed into a 3D printer, which then creates the glass tiles. So a little bit of old technique meets new technique with that 3D printer in there. And uh, and this is really great because they're finding that, um, you know, they're still testing, they're still in the testing phase about whether or not the tiles can be used on actual buildings. But given that quagga mussel is actually known to invasively reside in many locations, including like in the Great Lakes of North America, we really could be seeing a bit uh, of artistry coming from around the world in making shellfish glass tiles with each region looking unique to their little ecosystem. I'm so excited about this. I really, I really hope this takes off. I really hope they pass all their building codes and they actually uh, will be something that we see on the sites of all soon. I'm, I'm pretty interested to see what an Australian 
uh, quagga muscle glass tile shell would look like. I would 100% buy that. Last piece of good news, very quickly. This is so exciting. Every time we think about the future, especially as kids, we all thought about flying cars, didn't we? Well, guess what? The future is here. So now we have the first ever commute in the Jetson flying car. This is so cool. So a company owner has completed the first ever commute in a $83,000 space age flying car. So this is from the Swedish firm Jetson, a bit like the old TV show. And he just piloted the, uh, the, the um, co-founder of the Swedish firm just piloted the Jetson one vehicle from his Italian home to a company building in Tuscany. It's so cool. I'm so excited. But he said the trip to the Santa, Santa Maria uh, facility is a momentous occasion for the vehicle vertical takeoff and landing sector, um, which is EVTOL for short. The aircraft is powered by eight electric motors, has a flight time of 20 minutes, and can reach a top speed of 102 k's per hour, so 63 miles per hour. And the futuristic vehicle is constructed from a race car-inspired lightweight aluminium space frame and a carbon Kevlar composite body. It actually runs on a high-discharge lithium-ion battery, which is great, so no fuel. No one around me wants to buy fuel at the moment. It's so expensive. Um, But the vehicle can carry a pilot's weight of about 100 kilos, and uh, they said that the first time they actually had the proof of concept, the prototype was actually in spring of 2018 and they've been working on their consumer-friendly version since then, um, which has come out into production this year. So this is not a prototype. We're talking like this is on production and it's on for sale. Um, you have, might have to wait for a while because it's sold out immediately, uh, but they're now accepting orders for 2023 delivery. Uh, so just in case you're a bit worried about what that might be like, it's built to to uh, a bit kind of like a Formula One car for the sky. Apparently, it's incredibly fun to fly, and they have flight stability systems used to make it super easy to pilot around. The future is here, folks. Winter didn't last. The coldest months have passed. Time will heal our bumps and bruises. Mend the broken parts Oh, mend the broken parts Winter didn't last The shadow's time has passed Light will fill the skies above us Chase away the dark Oh, chase away the dark So hold on, hold on
Was Kemi Orgendi with the beautiful song Winter. You are listening to Faith FM Breakfast Show this morning with Mon, live with Mon, and a little bit of pre recorded delights coming right up. We have the second quiz this morning. This is a great question. Who wrote the book of Colossians? If you know the answer, you can give us a call or a text 0491064669. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Remember, we are drawing that prize today. Got a little text message from our mate Brayden. He said, ha ha, no mushroom dig today. I am grateful for Fridays as my kids come over and it brings in the start of the Sabbath. Amen to that. Super looking forward to Sabbath, that is for sure. And uh, what a great way to spend it with your family, Brayden. Good on you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for laying off the mushrooms for a change, mate. <laughs> Coming up next, we actually have a uh, a little best-of segment of Lila Lawson. This is a Bible study they did about Joseph and his brothers. So please enjoy this little pre-recorded best-of segment. Uh, where are we up to? Genesis chapter 42, I think it is. Yeah, that's right. Let's get into it. That's where we have been reading. I'll just open up there. Genesis chapter 42. Wait, no, we're up to 42, yeah, 43 oh, almost, 42. I think. 42, I'm sure it's 42. We're talking about Joseph's, uh, Joseph being uh, playing favourites with Benjamin. Jacob. Jacob. Playing favourites with Benjamin, yes. yes. Uh, then Joseph plays favourites with Benjamin as well. Yeah, that's reason. right. For sure. Okay. Uh, we'll Go. continue on. I think we got up to verse 7. The Bible says, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the and he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they explained. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Joseph, he recognizes these guys straight away. Mm. They wouldn't have been hard to recognize. But what about Joseph? Why don't they recognize him? Yeah, well, because, like, he's an Egyptian king now. I actually saw a... Because re- I've read this... I remember when I first read the Bible... Yes. And I was like, okay, he was 17, and now what? He's like 37. I'm like, that's that's like a big age gap. It is a chunk. But that, like from 17, like your post-puberty, like to 30s, I'm like, that's not crazy different looking. Like, I, I'm like, it's just not. On. It's just, sorry? Maybe he's put weight on. Ah, probably not. He's a king in Egypt, but he's like a hard-working, awesome dude. He's good-looking. That's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm kind of in this position where I'm like, why would they not be able to recognize him? But then one day, I saw, it was actually a children's cartoon, and it had like a depiction of this story, and it kind of showed like if Joseph was wearing kingly Egyptian 
you know, style. Like if he yes. if he had that on, like he had like most of his Which the head. Bible says is what he was wearing. He That's was, right. He was clothed by the Pharaoh. That's how they dressed him up. So he would have had like maybe like a shaved head and maybe some eyeliner because that's what they were into. And then, you know, some robes and a chain. And yeah, it can very much look different to how he did. Very, very different style of dress. And of course, they've got no preconceived uh, idea that Joseph is still alive because mm. slaves lived very short, hard lives in this era. And so why would you go to Egypt expecting to see Joseph? Mm. And uh, why would you expect to see Joseph? I mean, his name is Zaphnath Paneah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, why would you expect to see Joseph in Egypt as the prime minister of Egypt? I think it's interesting here that, and, and I wonder whether Joseph had something to do with this when he received that Egyptian name. Mm. Because obviously he's going to become very, very famous. Mm. Did he not want his family to find out. Yeah. Did he and, totally embrace this name so that his family didn't find out? And furthermore, we like learn later in the story that he always spoke to them through an interpreter, even though he completely understood yeah, what they were saying. Like, he's it's just... Like his, his he's, first language. That's right. But he's like playing them to, you know, just to give off the, well, the illusion to, to hold it up that... Because he recognizes they don't realize who he is. Yes. So he's kind of keep it going for various... For, for, for quite a while here... For various chapters where, yeah, it's going to lead to some very difficult testing. Okay, so he accuses them of being spies. They're like, no, we are honest men. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph is wondering, okay, all right, how honest are you? He throws them in jail uh-huh. where he spent, what, three years in that jail? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he spent a lot of time in that jail. They end up in the same jail. What's going through their mind at this particular point? Let's keep reading. Yeah, and continues on. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see the vulnerability of the land. Uh, we see here, sir, they said, um, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I'll test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether your story is true or not. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, I'll know that you're all spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. And if you do what, do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one, is, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison, and the rest of you may go home with the grain, for you are starving, for your families are starving. But you must bring back your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this, they agreed. Okay, so this was a very common practice in those days, mm-hmm. the practice of holding hostages. Mm-hmm. Hostages were held for a whole slew of different reasons. They were held to keep the peace. They were held to, you know, to keep bargains, to deals, agreements, uh, etc. And so this is not something that the brothers would be unfamiliar with. Neither would it be something that Joseph would be unfamiliar with. Mm. This is how things were done for, well, millennia. Mm. Uh, the system of hostages was just... It was just normal. These mm. days, you know, somebody's taken hostage and we think, oh, horror, horror, horror. And it is horror. There's no question yeah. about it. But it was not seen as being immoral. Yeah, this is just a down payment. That's right. Mm-hmm. Insurance. In human resources. Yeah, wow. Well. 
Yes, that's how it was. Of course, this was an era of you know slavery and so forth. So he sends them back and he wants to verify their story because his, but he sends grain with them. Mm-hmm. So Joseph hasn't kept them in prison forever. Mm-hmm. And he's sending grain with them because he doesn't want his family to starve. He loves his family. There's no question about this. As you read through this whole story, he is excited to see his family there. He wants to see them survive and he wants grain to go back. But he also wants to find out, okay, what do I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Have my brothers changed? Have they been converted? Or are they still the evil individuals who sold me into slavery? Mm. They've claimed that they are honest men. But what's actually the situation here? He doesn't know. How would he know? Mm. Now, the brothers, what's going through their mind as they're thrown into prison? Well, we have the transcript right here, exactly what their discussion is. In verse 21, it says, Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we are in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked? But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for it, for his blood. Why do they think this? Because they're in Egypt. Yeah. Where did they send Joseph to? Where did they sell him to? Traders that were going to Egypt. That's right. They know that Joseph went to Egypt, and now they have gone to Egypt, and now they are in deep trouble Mm. in Egypt, Mm -hmm. the land where they sent Joseph. You can see quite easily how they would start putting these, you know, connecting these dots together. Mm. Okay, and Reuben, of course, he's he's a little bit upset about this Mm. because he was the one as the oldest who took responsibility and said, don't kill him. Mm. And they waited until Reuben wasn't watching. And sold him. him, It's like, if you'd have listened to me, we wouldn't be in this trouble right now. Mm. You know, they spent three days in that prison, had a little bit of a taste, three-day mm. taste of what Joseph did for three years. And, of course, when we're reading this particular story and Joseph's brothers arrive in Egypt and they come to Joseph, and, of mm. course, Egypt is a very, very large country. So there's a number of things that you can see here. It was providential that they came to Joseph. Mm. I mean, this is a huge country. Yeah. Joseph has storehouses from one end of this country to the other, and they come to Joseph. Yeah. They don't come to someone that he's delegated to take care of international trade. They come to Joseph. Mm -hmm. And when they come to Joseph, they bow before Joseph. Mm -hmm. Particularly when he accuses them of spies, you can imagine they are are bowing all the way down to the ground. Mm. What's significant about that? Uh, That they they see him as their ruler. What was the prophecy that Joseph was given? (laughs) He'll rule over them. That they would bow to him, and that's exactly what they are doing. They are bowing to Joseph, and... Then Joseph sends them back with food. Who gets to stay? Let's let's read through and find out who gets to stay. Okay, so, oh, dude, I just want to read this part. I'm going to try not to, like, I read ahead as we came to the end of the last section. I started, like, tearing up because this part is hectic. So they go back and forth and they're like, we shouldn't have sold Joseph. That's why we're in this trouble. Reuben's like, uh, but you wouldn't listen and now we have to answer for his blood. Like, they're f- freaking out having this crisis because, like, we did the wrong thing. And now we're in trouble. And they're fully recognizing and owning up to it. And then the next verse, verse 23, Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grains, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment 
at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with grain and headed for home. Let's just think about this for a moment because Joseph is the one who selects the brother that he's going to keep in prison. Mm. How do you think he goes about selecting that particular brother? Why does he pick on Simeon, do you think? Well, Simeon's the second oldest. And so I'm thinking, I can't remember back to the story. I don't know if it's necessarily him who suggested anything. In fact, when Joseph was kind of getting accused and having these dreams and mouthing off to his brothers, he's with the brothers of Bilhah and Zilpah, who that is not Simeon. Simeon is the son of Leah, but he's the second oldest. Reuben's the oldest. Simeon. So why not pick on Reuben? I think because Reuben had mercy, right? Reuben had nothing to do with it, really. Yeah. Reuben was the one who spared his life when they wanted to kill him. Mm. Reuben was the one who was not there when he was sold. Mm. So he doesn't pick on the oldest. He doesn't pick on the one who was actually responsible at the time, which indicates that he's picking on the one who was responsible for what happened to him. Yeah, because Simeon is the oldest, he would have been the instigator yes. and also the one that let it happen. Yes. Because we know Reuben didn't, right? Reuben yes. was the one who tried to save him. And so what do you think that that is doing in the minds of the brothers as they are heading back. Oh, they know. They're they, like, they know. Yeah. They know. They know that they are being punished for what they did. Mm. And the thing is they travel back, they know they've gone to Egypt where they sold Joseph. Mm. They know that Simeon, the instigator of selling Joseph and wanting to kill Joseph, is there in Egypt mm. as a prisoner. They know that God is at work here and this is their punishment from God. And what are they going to say to their father when they get back? They're in a tough position yeah. because they can't exactly go back and say, well, you know what, back in the day we actually didn't find Joseph's coat of many colours in the field. We actually sold him as a slave to Egypt <laughs> and now we're being punished for it. Oof. And so Simeon's down there. Mm. Well, I guess at least they have some kind of cover. It's like, oh, they think we're spies and we need to go back to rescue Simeon. But, yeah. This incident... You know that it has been giving them stomach acid for their entire lives ever mm. since it happened. Yeah. For the last 20 years, they have been suffering mm. with their conscience. And now that's all been revived, it's all been stirred up, and they are suffering again. Yeah, that's right. Like, if they had gotten over it, then it just wouldn't even come up. But the fact that Im immediately it's like we're in trouble, oh. Yep. And then immediately it. Simeon gets picked out. Yeah. And he's in jail. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah, so he sends them back with their grain. He sends them back with their money. He's not going to charge them for grain. He's, they're his family. Yeah, that's right. Sends them back with their money and sends them back to their father. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when they come back because he has not sent them back with enough grain to survive what is coming. Mm. It picks up in verse 27. It says, But when they stopped for the night and they opened their sacks uh, to get the grain for the donkey, you know, they found money at the top of the sack. Look! Uh, one of the brothers exclaimed, My money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. Trembling, they said to each other, What has God done to us? When the brothers came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened to them. The man who is the mm, governor of the land quite. spoke very harshly to us. They told him. He accused us of being spies scouting the land. But we said, we are honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One brother is no longer with us, and the youngest is at home in the land of Canaan. Then 
the man who is the governor of the land told us, this is how I'll find out whether you're an honest man. Leave one of your brothers here with me, take the grain for your starving families and go home, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. Then I will know that you are honest men and not spies. Then I will give you back your brother and you may trade freely in the land. Whoo! How do you think Joseph's going to respond to this? Going to let Benjamin go head south? Well, he wouldn't want to. No, because Benjamin is the last of his favourites. He had two mm. favourite sons from his favourite wife. He was the favourite son of his mother. His father had a favourite son. There is favourites, favourites, favourites all the way down through here, which is such a great lesson for parents of what not to do. And, of course, now he's, he's an old man. He has a young son whose name is Benjamin. Is he going to let Benjamin go? What does the Bible say? Well, he says, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all that I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving whitehead man to his grave. Yes, and so he has been grieving for Joseph this entire time. Goodness is stronger than evil, love is stronger than hate, light is stronger than darkness, life is stronger than death. Goodness is stronger than evil, Love is stronger than hate Light is stronger than darkness Life is stronger than death Victory is ours, victory is ours Through Him who loved us Victory is ours, victory is ours through him who loves goodness is stronger than evil, love is stronger than hate, light is stronger than darkness, life is stronger than death. was two flugels. Goodness is stronger than evil. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You're on Faith FM. You're with Mon Live today, filling in for the boys. They're off doing 
Now, they're not doing boy things. They are away doing great things. Actually, if you wanted to, you should check them out this weekend, AYC. It's the Adventist Youth Conference, I think is what it stands for. It's happening there on the Central Coast. Uh, really fabulous uh, conference, annual conference. Been going for a while. I remember being uh, a happy attendant back in my day, in my heyday. And uh, you should check it out. Go online. And uh, maybe you can come along for the Sabbath program. I, usually, I think they usually open up to visitors uh, for church, and you can go along and, uh, and check it out as well. It's really great, really great atmosphere. But we are now going to have our third quiz of the day. Are you ready? In what chapter of the Bible did Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. If you think you know that answer, you can go into the prize draw, the big prize draw, which is happening today. I'm gonna give you that to you one more time. In what chapter of the Bible did Jesus say, "I am the bread of life"? Oh, get your draw in there. Got a couple of text messages that came in. Thanks, Joel. Go girl power today on Faith FM. She says, "Girl, I need power. <laughs> Pray for us, sister." <laughs> <laughs> you can probably hear from my husky tones. And, uh, and if you were listening to DJ Shell, you'd know that she also did a bit husky <laughs> around the vocals this morning. Uh, but, yeah, we're pushing through. Praise the Lord. We love serving you guys. I uh, got a really cool text message from Raphael. At last, the Jetsons flying car have arrived. I've been waiting many years for this to become reality. That show started dis- September 23rd, 1962. Well, that makes me feel old. Right, hang on, that's like, what, is that like 60, 70 years ago? Goodness me. Yeah, do you know what, Raphael? I've been hanging out for a flying car. My dream car would be Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because that car could drive and fly and swim. That's what I'm hoping for next. How cool would that be? And I'm pretty sure that's, that that car could sing and dance or something as well. <laughs> anyway, today we're having a live interview. This is not a pre-record. So welcome to the show, Byron. Always great to have you on board. And uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, we love uh, we love having your brain do a little bit of a, a deep dive for us because you are one of those uh, those savvy people who looks at things really under a microscope and just really illuminates it for the rest of us. And I think uh, you are doing a series with us uh, on Genesis. Yeah, that's correct. Where are we up to with that? Yeah, we're probably looking more today at chapter thirty-eight, which is the story, a fascinating story of Tamar. Uh, it's one of those uh, pages in the Bible where it shows how doubtful the characters were, of particularly the sons of uh, of Jacob, uh, how shady they could be. Uh, but it is fascinating because Tamar, of course, uh, she becomes very important in the genealogy of Jesus, as is Rahab and, and Ruth. So, and so the, there is a, a big consideration here for that story. So who actually was Tamar? Yeah, Tamar was, of course, the the, the young lady that uh, uh, was married to the sons of, of Judah. What happened is that if we look at chapter 38, we got to integrate that into the whole stay of Jacob in the land of Canaan. Um, in fact, the, uh, to put it this way, Judah was probably about 20 years of age when they sold off uh, Joseph, their brother, uh, to the Ishmaelites as a, as, as, as a property, as a slave. And um, so the preceding uh, details, as we find it in chapter 38, like the marriage 
of, firstly, Judah himself mm-hmm. to a lady by the name of Shua. She was a Canaanite. So Judah did not stick to uh, the rule that they should not marry locally. They had uh, three sons, and the three sons are recorded here in chapter 38. That's Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And there's an interesting incident. And the interesting incident involves the lady Tamar that I mentioned before. Tamar means palm tree, by the way. It's not a kind of a they are fancy being called palm tree, but anyway. There a, it is. I that, do like that, palm that, trees, but it is an odd yeah, name. <laughs> not as a name, no. She married to the first son of Judah that he had with this Canaanite lady, Shua. Now, Tamar was most likely also Canaanite, by the way. There was an inter- here, here is the thing to consider. There was an integration of the chosen people with the Canaanites, which gives a tremendous validity to the fact that God somehow uh, organized the circumstances that they had to leave and uh, immigrate to, what shall I say, uh, the land of Goshen in Egypt to be more separated from these influences, because you'll find the Canaanite influences all throughout, particularly the 38th chapter. Anyway, this uh, first uh, son of Judah, by the name of Ur, E-R, we would uh, spell it, to Tamar, resulted in a disaster. The Lord uh, struck him. He was apparently a very wicked man. There's no details given. Now, his brother... Onan was meant to raise up offsprings on behalf of the brother. But he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that because that would mean that the inheritance would go to the firstborn between him and Tamar. And he wasn't that way inclined. So he did as if he was trying to raise offspring, but he uh, found a way to spill the seed to the ground, the Bible says. And God took exception to that. And he died. That left uh, Judah with one son by the name of Shelah. And he promised Tamar, as the story there goes on in uh, chapter 38, he promised Tamar that when the boy would be of marital age, uh, she, you know, she would be betrothed to him and that he would then raise offspring. But that never happened. That never happened. He didn't come good on that because Judah was worried that he might lose his third son as well. There was a stigma he believed to be married to Tamar that uh, the husbands died so young. There is another interesting uh, element here to this is that the marital age could have been 13, 14, 15 years old, fairly young as well. Yeah, it still it still is actually a habit in some of those districts. But it, uh, it in the time frame, that if you consider from the time that they came back to uh, the land of Canaan, from the time Joseph was sold, from the time that they moved to Egypt, within these time frames, this whole family uh, affair, disaster, if you like, could not have occurred within an, an ordinary time frame of being at after the sale of Joseph and then go to Egypt. So... It must involve the preceding uh, years as well. 
it makes it a very interesting story because, again, the early marital age is uh, definitely also of Canaanite origin. It was very uh, common, plus the act of prostitution. Oh. Yeah. It's very interesting that you know the story that uh, he went on the way to, uh, yeah, to share the sheep and that Tamar, who had been at home at her father's place and uh, dressed as a widow because she obviously was, and uh, realized that uh, Judah was not going to make his son Shela available as the, the third husband. And so there was a Canaanite um, habit or, or tradition that the father of the, the husband, in the absence of a brother, could then produce the offspring required, needed for the widow. And so the lady Tamar did actually, well, she deceived him, but she, she what, it was not uncommon. It was not uncommon. The other thing uh, is, is if you go to the uh, description of the, when, uh, Judah was looking for the lady to make a payment for way of a young goat. That was apparently the going price for the for the sexual relationship and intercourse that he sought and did receive. And you remember he gave the uh, as a token that he would comply with the uh, with the cost. He gave he left his signet ring, which was probably like a cylinder on a cord around mm-hmm. his neck. And he gave that as a, uh, a surety that he would come good on the payment, which is uh, quite fascinating. Uh, of course, she disappeared. She went back to her father's place, dressed up again as a widow. And then three months later, then three months later, it becomes obvious that she is pregnant. Uh, and that's quite interesting. In the 21st verse, there is the word that we translate in English, the harlot. So the friend of Judah is looking for the harlot. But the word that is used in Hebrew is kadashah, which uh, comes from the verb uh, the word kodesh, uh, which means holy. It means a consecrated one. Prostitutes could be consecrated. Uh, they could be also known as devoted ones. It was very common in Canaanite worship. So it's not as uh, detrimental to the woman as it would be down here. And it uh, was common for Canaanite religious worship. Uh, it, it's just, you can see the habits and the, the settling in and the affiliation of the habits, of course, of the land really so, integrating into their, their, into their culture. So what happens when they find out that she's pregnant? Yeah, isn't that the story and the half? <laughs> so, so it's all right. He calls her out, being the head of the of the family. He calls her out to be burned. Now, I'm not. I don't know whether probably not being burned alive, but he this way he could secure. This is a terrible thought. He could secure her, her death and would not have to part with his third son, Sheila. And and we would uh, be relieved of that, obviously, uh, obligation. And uh, it just goes to show there is an object lesson here. The things we commit seems to be worse when perpetrated by others. 
and and here is one of those typical examples. He feels that she has she has betrayed. That is the, the, the really the, the cause of the sentence. She has betrayed her betrothal to the youngest son of Judah, Shela. But Judah had never intent of giving him. The Bible makes that plain. And uh, she obviously then identifies with the signet ring. This is the daddy. Mm. And that's it. So it's all right for the woman to be punished, but what about the man? Yeah. So. And then he then he admits then he admits she is more righteous than I am. So this is a, quite a scandalous chapter in the Bible, Byron. It literally sounds yeah. like a telenova. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is it in the Bible? Like, what else can we learn from this? Uh, we learn from this that we are all of us so imperfect. Mm. And we see the imperfections in others, and God still uses them. That's why I started off by saying Tamar was in the genealogy of Jesus, as was Rahab, another prostitute. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then Ruth and Moabite. You know, uh, so there you are. God can make very good things out of very wrong things. Yeah, amen. And, and he does that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, especially uh, considering, you know, she... She's had several men there. She, multiple husbands yeah. have died. Not her fault, obviously. Uh, she's no. lied and tricked people and acted like a prostitute and uh, and slept with her father-in-law and gotten pregnant. It sounds really quite bad. But then you have to think that Jesus redeems her and puts her in his own yeah. genealogy. That's yeah. really quite incredible to think of. When when you look at that, then you look at, at Judah. I mean, Judah. At the time they sold, they sold uh, Joseph. Uh, you know, he couldn't have been a lot more than three years older than Joseph. He could have been about 20. Judah was about 42 when 22 years later they moved to Egypt. And, and, and you look at that, that the fact, the act that he sold his own brother, it was his idea, by the way. Mm. He already was married. He already had children himself. Oh, pretty wow. callous, pretty callous. Yeah, very much so. Byron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we appreciate you once again, as I said before, just just blowing up a, a, a chapter in the Bible and letting us see things a bit up close. And you know what? If you have had a, a rough life, don't worry. Jesus will redeem you, just like in this story of Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38 there. He can redeem you as well. We're now going to listen to Breaking Ground. God was at his best. Walking in the garden, Eve met the serpent there. She saw the tree of life was good, made her rise beyond compare. Adam took the fruit and then to God their sin confessed. Man was at his worst, and God was at that day as he made them coats of lamb. He made himself a sacrifice as he would for Abraham. The first blood would flow so free as God's promise they possessed. Man was at his worst, but God was at his best. 
Pandemics, floods, social unrest, and global warfare. Where is our world heading? Learn the answer from Daniel, prisoner of war who became the prime minister of ancient Iraq. He foretold future world kingdoms and events affecting our lives today. Seminar series starting 29th of June at 6 p.m. Community Hall, corner of Cowper and Gipps Streets, Tari. Free soup and buns at 5.45 p.m. Phone Graham on 0447 or just come and join us for this eye-opening series. 